Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because I said, ooh girl, shock me like an electric eel. But regardless of how you know me, you know I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Welcome to the show, everyone. Recording this week at Thickness Central. Quick reminder, make sure you follow us on Twitch. We have a lot of cool hangouts and chit-chats for dinner dates where I play games like Marvel's Avengers and right now Injustice 2. Lots of Twisted Cape podcasts like this Mike Fix That, as well as the Twistcast dropping over the next few days. So make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform if you have not already. We're skipping the city shoutouts again for this episode. We'll get there eventually. Just hang in there. Just know, friends, we miss you from everywhere. All right. As always, we are going to go ahead and start by rating the thickness of my stack. So let's blast off over to Mike's Thickometer. Oh, yeah. Mike's Thickometer. So thick I call it Thicky Vale. This week clocks in at an 8 out of 10 on Mike's Thickometer. This is a thick, thick week, a double thick, a dummy thick week. In case you're curious, the stack this week has a Marvel advantage. And this week we will also go ahead and start with those Marvel books, starting with Amazing Spider-Man number 56. We give this a three and a half out of five. This issue picks up the pieces from Last Remains. The focus early is on the combo of Norman Osborn and Wilson Fisk and their combined hunt for Kindred, including whatever fucked up plans they have for Kindred. We see how they take him down and capture him. The turn is that Norman really has been cured and is really looking to help Harry. Then we see that MJ is fine and it was all an act. Also, now all of the sins that had been taken by Sin Eater have been redistributed, so everyone has been repowered. Carly Cooper agrees to go on a date with Overdrive, and then Aunt May finds Martin Lee at the door at Feast. There's a flashback where Harry has Peter and Norman alone, and he asks why they did this to him. Back in present time, Pete breaks in and says that he and Norman need to have a talk. Of course, that always goes well. Anyone who's ever been in a relationship knows a talk is bad news. It's an oversized issue, and it's pretty good as a wrap-up, but there's still a lot to unpack here. I'm not sure what's going on with the creative team. I don't hate Bagley, but I don't always feel like he has the right style on this book, as I'm sure you've heard me harp on before. Next up, we have Hellions number eight. I gave this a three and a half out of five as well. The Hellions largely face off against Cameron Hodge and his backup robots. Nanny and Wildchild go to the ship immediately, leaving the rest of the team to do battle with robots until they realize that Cameron Hodge himself is also a robot, and he ends up being terminated by his own robots? Psylocke uploads a virus to wipe out the AI, saving Grey Crow from doing it. Keep it off his conscience, I suppose. Nanny notes that everyone is upset, specifically Havoc, but she reveals that she's retrieved a baby robot from the base her ship was being held at. This book remains funny, fast-paced, and very dangerous. I really hope the art stays this good, and it has some moments where it just absolutely crushes. Seems like it'll get very hectic again very soon. Alright, next up we have Iron Man number 5. I gave this another 3.5 out of 5. It's pretty consistent this week. Iron Man does his best to save Rhodey, but he keeps falling down face first. While he leaves Patsy to recover from last issue's events, he talks to his hastily formed team consisting of Misty Knight, Gargoyle, Scarlet Spider, Frogman, and Halcyon. 
They're tasked with helping stop Korvac. Korvac, however, is taking control of Patsy, and she delivers an electric shock to herself to help regain control. Tony finds her and Tony finds her, and that leads to him confronting Korvac. The team finds Korvac's drum ship, which is detonated almost immediately, seemingly taking the team with it. Tony unloads on Korvac, barely damaging him, and simultaneously shutting down his suit at the same time. Korvac leaves Tony on the ground, leaving to enact his own plan. I love that no matter what, Tony can't buy a win. It's borderline Spider-Man territory, but I feel like when he eventually roars back, he'll roar all the way back. Patsy, though, who knows? This seems quite damaging for her. Again, I think this book is beautiful and remains one of the best-looking books out there. All right, now we have a couple of King and Black books. Starting with King and Black Guardians of the Galaxy number 10, I gave this a 4 out of 5. The first part of the book explains how the Guardians got to where they find Peter Quill. He briefly explains that he's been powered up. The team is happy to get him back, even though he barely remembers much of their lives together because he's lived several lifetimes in his absence. Star-Lord leads the team in taking down one of Null's dragons, saving Spartax. Then he explains why they shouldn't go to Earth to confront Null, because he's being chased by the gods of Olympus, and they want their power back, which he's stolen. I enjoy this book so much, both because of the weird big cosmic story going on here, but also because of the clean style of art going on here. I almost wish that this didn't tie into King and Black, because it feels like it doesn't matter as much to that story as it does to this one, if that makes sense. Moving on, we have King of Black, Spider-Woman number 8. I gave this a 2.5 out of 5. Octavia and Jess end up doing a little team-up after Octavia gives Jess more serum. They steal spiders from Hydra, samples from Stegron, and research from Tony Stark, leading to a fight with Rhodey. They go to a volcano lair and meet Octavia's daughter, Ophelia. The lair belongs to the High Evolutionary, who is flanked by clones of Jess's mom. I don't know why they made this a King of Black tie-in. Outside of a few offhanded references to what's going on, primarily in the art, there's no reason that this is part of the event. It helps to keep continuity, I suppose, but I wish it didn't seem like it was supposed to be important to that event if it isn't. This is another book that always looks great, but I'm not sure about the story here. It's mainly a setup issue for what seems to be a big issue featuring the High Evolutionary. Next up, we have King in Black, Venom number 32. I gave this a 4 out of 5. This issue remains one of the most significant King in Black tie-ins this week. Eddie spends the first few pages falling through the hive, almost assimilated until Rex snaps him out of it. He catches up on a lot, like Null has taken so many people and heroes of the world. He's dead, and Null has his symbiote. The issue ends with Rex revealing that he's found Flash Thompson in the hive and freed him. I love Flash as a hero, and his return definitely bodes well for the future. Visually, this book is awesome. So much little details mixed in with the amazing panels from the start. I enjoyed the story, too, but I have to wonder where it's all going. How is Eddie dead, but not dead? It's a little confusing, but I'm sure it'll come around later. Okay, moving on, we have Thor number 11. I gave this a 4 out of 5. Through the majority of this book, Donald Blake is having dinner with Jean Foster, and she's unaware of the real danger that she's in. She catches him up, and when she reveals that she was Thor, he nearly has a meltdown. Meanwhile, Thor is seeking help when he comes across Ratatoskir, a chaos god who reveals that Asgard is empty. In Dimension Blood, Sif is trying to wrangle Volstag while Beta Ray Bill recovers and thinks to use Lockjaw, but Lockjaw has left. Jane goes back to work and finds Roger Norvell, who was a Thor, 
dead on the morgue table. Jean rushes to the bathroom and sees death hovering over her head like she can see when she's a Valkyrie. Meanwhile, Donald Blake is in a swamp looking for someone, and they reveal that they aren't hiding, they've been hunting him. Turns out, Lockjaw went to grab Frog Thor, who is now after Donald Blake. I almost love the feral look of this book. It's dark, which I love. Let's keep that going as long as we can. Okay, next up we have X-Factor, number 6. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. The Mutants' own CSI team gets another call about Siren being dead. They investigate the circumstances of her death thoroughly. The whole team gathers various pieces of information to help paint the picture. Then, Prodigy has an argument with Northstar about keeping a body farm at the X-Factor base so he can study how mutant bodies decompose and other scientific research that they currently don't have answers for. After Northstar ends up agreeing, the team confronts Siren about the circumstances of her death, which she blows off. She leaves, and the team immediately concludes that she's lying as Polaris goes after her. Siren uses her sonic hypnosis on Polaris to get her to back off and actively sabotage any more investigation into her death. The story here has become more and more interesting. While the book has a unique look, I'm not sure I'm in love with the style all the time. I like that it's unique to this book, but I go back and forth on it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and after that, we're going to jump into these DC books. Stick around. Hey, everybody. Sam here from The Twisted Cape. If you haven't already done so, be sure to check out The Twisted Cape's Tee Public page, which we have live right now for you to purchase any and all of your clothing needs with Twisted Cape logos on them. We got shirts, socks, maybe. Wow. We got other shirts with hoods on them, and they have longer sleeves. So warm. We got everything you could ever want with Twisted Cape logos on them. So, again, please be sure to check out the Twisted Cape's Tee Public page. Check out the link in the description, and be sure to pick up your favorite stuff right now. Thanks, everybody. And now, back to Mike's Thick Stack. Yeah, we're back. And if you like thickness, it's about to get real thick here with all these DC books. Starting with Dark Knights, Death Metal, number seven. I gave this a four out of five. Here's what we've been waiting for. This is largely a battle book, and that part of it is awesome. There are a ton of battles in this issue. Largely the Bat family fighting against the Robin King and his forces. Superman and his backup fighting a version of himself called Kill All. The Flash dealing with a corrupted version of Wally, and of course, Diana versus the Darkest Knight or the Batman Who Laughs. A ton of sacrifices are made in this issue as well. We know that Bruce is already dead, but the entire Bat family dies and it comes back resurrected by Black Lantern rings. Superman ends up succumbing to the anti-life. Lex detonates his suit to take out Kill All. Diana makes the sacrifice to take out the Darkest Knight or the Batman Who Laughs, but as a result is called to ascension by the forces of the multiverse as everything is set to reset with no limits placed on the universe. A new Omniverse is born as well as a new center of the multiverses. Well, actually two. And one of them may be an Earth that is being called the Elseworld. First of all, this looks as epic as you may expect from Greg Capullo and every other guest artist that shows up in this issue. The story is both fun, confusing, intriguing, and final. If this is where you were to walk away, it would make sense. Much like Metal Reshaped the Universe, Death Metal did the same thing here. It's quite impactful no matter what. And before we get to Infinite Frontier and the reboot, 
we get to check out Future State. Starting right now. Future State, The Flash, number one. I gave this a three out of five. The future is grim for the Scarlet Speedster. Wally's taken all the speed from all the speedsters. Bart gets killed in an operation, and Barry is so close to giving in to despair. He finds a way to try to help Wally by projecting their minds into the speed force. Unfortunately, this gets Jay killed because Wally's being possessed by famine. Iris rescues them all, but it's not good for many of the other speedsters. Barry resolves to stop Wally no matter what by using the tools of the Flash's enemies. This looks really good from start to finish. I don't love the idea of putting the speedsters against each other again. It feels like it keeps happening over and over, and I want the optimism and maybe a little silliness from the Flash. Not Batman-level drama all the time. I hope that trend stops in the near future. Next up, we have Future State, the next Batman, number one. I gave this a three and a half out of five. This has three stories in it, which justifies the size and hefty price of this book. In the first story, uh, Jace Fox has taken over as Batman, and people think that Bruce has died. The city has fallen apart, including a Bane gang that has taken over and started recruiting kids. They attempt to hit, and Batman steps in and saves the day, but Gotham is still quite a troubled place, as evidenced by the ambush set up at the end of the story. In the second story, it's an outsider story, Duke and Katana show up as the outsiders uh, work to rescue people from the Magistrate's Iron Fist. This story has one of the best splash pages I've ever seen as Tatsu works through five stories worth of henchmen. She's caught and on the ropes at the end, but is rescued by Black Lightning, who informs her that Duke has a magistrate mole with him. Finally, uh, there's an Arkham Knight story about a group of fanatics built around knighthood mythos, but it has a lot of the rogues gallery as its core members. Two-Face, Clayface, Humpty Dumpty, Zaz, Dr. Phosphorus, and others. They work to bring Killer Croc into their ranks and go back to their hideout in Wayne Manor. They fight against the peacekeepers who are focused on hunting masked individuals. I like the book, specifically those pages in Outsiders, but this should have been spent establishing this new Batman, in my opinion. Jace is so cool. All the art was tight from top to bottom, especially that Tatsu sequence. Next up, we have Future State, Superman of Metropolis, number one. I give this also a three out of five. John takes over as Superman, and he starts by taking on a military force to protect an AI made from Brainiac called Brain Cells. He ends up shrinking Metropolis to Candor size to keep it safe. When Kara finds out, she's not happy, and Brain Cells actually gains control and influences her into fighting John. Brain Cells shows his true colors and turns on the Kryptonians and Metropolis and takes them captive. In another story, Inside the Dome, Mr. Miracle, Shiloh Norman, seeks to protect Metropolis but finds himself fighting robots, and as the story ends, he's on the losing end of a battle and in a bad way. Finally, there's a Guardian story where Guardian is also seeking to help keep the city safe, as requested by Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy eventually disappears, taken by Honest Mary, who is looking to blow a hole into the bottle, which is as dangerous as it sounds. The story ends with what looks like Guardian's death, but we're not really entirely sure. I have issues with, with death. Unless I see a body, I don't believe it. Anyway, I enjoyed the art in the first two stories, but I felt lukewarm on that last story. I guess it just wasn't my preference. Similar to the Batman book, I wish there had been a true focus on John rather than a collection of stories, even though I understand they're being used to tell the story of Metropolis as a whole right now. Next up, we have Future State Swamp Thing number one. I gave this a four out of five. As this started, I wasn't sure I'd like it, but it really turned things around. 
It's a distant future where humanity has all but ended itself. Swamp Thing, alongside other avatars, presumably coming from Swamp Thing's fallen leaves, eventually find a human who tells Swampy that there's a small group of humans in the north who find an undying man who looks like he could be Woodrue. I really enjoyed the art style here, but then I also love Swamp Thing no matter what. I think the story is interesting and set after some of these other future state stories is eye-opening. I hope this stays interesting throughout the run. And finally here we have Future State Wonder Woman number one. I gave this a four out of five. This sets up the Wonder Woman of the future, Yara Floor. She starts by fighting a Hydra with her Pegasus, Jerry, Jerry, and convinces Kaipora to get her into the underworld. She gets into trouble there and starts a fight and ends up waking up Cerebus. I left some stuff on the table in this issue, but I love this take on a younger, more brash Wonder Woman. Yara is fun, cocky, and definitely flawed, but she's awesome. The art here is absolutely stunning, probably one of the best-looking books of the week. And unlike many of the other Future State books, this one isn't quite so dour. All right, keeping it kind of short this week, uh, as we go ahead and try and wrap up, if you want to be on the show, hit me up on Twitter at SpiderMike29. Looking at the next week, I'm looking forward to reading uh, more Future State from DC, uh, Dark Detective, and Justice League, and from Marvel, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 57, Marauders number 17, and Sword number 2. We got some stuff up on YouTube, so smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our content. We have some stuff on TeePublic, so check the links in the show notes if you want to get your hands on some of this sweet, sweet gear. That is all the time we have for this week. Of course, make sure you subscribe to the Twisted Cape on your favorite podcast platform, or just listen on the TwistedCape.com. We're at the Twisted Cape, no spaces on every social media platform. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, possibly OnlyFans. You'll never know unless you look. Make sure you tune into our weekly show on Thursdays. Uh, you can find it on YouTube or on the TwistedCape.com slash livestream. And make sure you hit those comments because we go over those during and at the end of each show. Finally, feel free to shoot us feedback on this show to thetwistedcape at gmail.com and make sure you use the subject line MTS. Thanks for tuning in. So until next time, plug it in, change the world. You are my electric girl. Stay safe, wear a mask, get that vaccine, and stay twisted. Fix that.